We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. How your life would be different or what would be different in your life if when you were developing as an individual, both personally and professionally, if you had done so from a divergent standpoint rather than a convergent standpoint. If something along your educational line, so to speak, taught you that it wasn't such an extra lift or so out of the box to think differently based on what your true interests and passions were or where you might want to develop yourself instead of trying to develop in the way that everybody else around you was. Well, that's what we're talking about again today. And I just want to welcome all of the listeners here to our first series that Seeing to Lead has done. And this series is about the divergent thinking and leadership that we also need when we face our educational system today. You see, the divergent thinking and leading series is a series about divergent you and how we get to where we can develop both personally and professionally to the greatest level of success possible. This is the third in the series. And in the first one, we talked about divergent you and the leadership philosophy behind it. And then the second one, we talked about developing leadership and the process that goes with that. Specifically, we outlined a framework, or I should say Sam, our guest, who I'm here again with today, outlined a framework about values, goals, and process. So today, episode three is about personal and professional development, which is incredibly important and so important to Develop yourself personally so you can develop yourself professionally. But we're going to hear more about that from Sam. And once again, for those of you, just so you remember, Sam Terrell is a serial entrepreneur and a TEDx speaker. He's the founder of Divergent U, a one-year alternative to college in Orlando, Florida, to help students discover their professional purpose and achieve their dream lifestyle. I can't wait to continue the conversation with Sam because as we talked earlier before I hit record, We kind of got into a flow state on a second one because this is something that's so important to both of us. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it worth exploring. More time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it. Dedicated time for intervention. Overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But... The implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit myflexlearning.com B 
to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. What can hold back your imagination from happening? So what's everything that can stop your imagination from becoming a reality? Divergent thinking is having that wide imagination, being able to, to have ideas, right? Generate ideas. And so we wanted to develop a framework that contain that a little bit more. And so the, the question was, what can stop your imagination from becoming reality? And over the course of uh, a lot of beta testing, about a year and a half of workshops in front of hundreds, if not thousands of students um, with a whiteboard, I, I started asking students, what can hold back your imagination? And we came up with these pillars that we called the 12 limitations. <laughs> Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Sam, welcome back to the podcast for episode three. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having me back. So I'm going to stop being so long-winded because I was in the beginning there, and I tend to so you've got so much to say that I don't want to, I don't want to overshadow that. But what people need to know, I think, first is, could you kind of run us through what Divergent U really is again, and what it's basically based on the idea of Divergent thinking before we step into that whole personal and professional development piece? Absolutely. So Divergent versus Convergent thinking is, I think, the root of the discussion, where Convergent thinking is thinking to a set point. So uh, if you imagine the, just the idea of converging towards a singular end point is what convergent thinking helps to do. So an example would be two plus two equals four. It's a convergent question. There's multiple variables. It leads to a right answer. Divergent thinking is starting from a, a question and expanding. It's an expansive way of thinking. So a question like, what is your professional purpose? A question like, how do I start a business? There are There is a blueprint to some degree to start a business, but if you're building a company, for example, which I talked about in previous episodes, I started my first company, Hoop Brothers, when I was 18. Scaling that company requires a lot of nuance. And so it's not just a singular multiple choice right answer test like a converging question would be. A divergent question is expansive. It's more of an open-minded question. And another way to think about it is almost a convicted mindset versus an open-minded mindset, where the convergent is the conviction, which is important to have. But the divergent is the open. And so that's a good place we can kind of start from. No, that's absolutely perfect. And when people are thinking about how that works, and I I got so excited in talking to you anyways, I even forgot to introduce myself in the beginning of this because of how, how excited I am about this. But I figure people are going to know who I am. One of the things I was thinking about was you shared a framework in the last episode that I thought was so valuable. And I, I had mentioned at the beginning the values, goals, and process that you then even broke down into, you broke it down into skills and trust. And I think it was an autonomy you broke it down into as well, I believe. 
Yeah, it was empathy, authority, and trust for the three skills. We actually call that model the divergent thinking model, which is the values, goals, process. Perfect. Thanks for straightening me out. I went back and I looked at my notes and I had circles all over the place for different words (laughs) and how they connected. You know what? That was so helpful to listeners that when they go back and listen to listen to the second episode, they're going to enjoy a lot. But do you have another helpful tool or another framework that can kind of set us off as far as personal and professional development go? Yeah. So about four years ago, when I started Divergent U, the question that I was trying to find the answer to is what can hold back your imagination from happening? So what's everything that can stop your imagination from becoming a reality. Divergent thinking is having that wide imagination, being able to to have ideas, right? Generate ideas. And so we wanted to develop a framework that contained that a little bit more. And so the the question was, what can stop your imagination from becoming reality? And over the course of uh, a lot of beta testing, about a year and a half of workshops in front of hundreds, if not thousands of students um, with a whiteboard, I, I started asking students, what can hold back your imagination? And we came up with these pillars that we call the 12 limitations. And so the 12 limitations is a framework that is designed to help students and individuals and professionals find what's holding them back and how to overcome them. And so that's kind of what we can walk through today. And there's 12, 12 different pillars of this. So we can jump right in if you're ready to, ready to get started. Fire away, Sam. Sweet. So the first limitation is limitation of clarity. And so what that means is you're limited in not knowing who you are or not knowing what you want. And so that's the foundation because if you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going, you're not going to be able to make progress. So that's, again, going back to that divergent thinking model, the values, goals, process. That's values is defining and understanding who you are. The goals is knowing where you're going. So that's a big part of the clarity. And I think before people can and make progress, they have to have clarity. So the clarity is the first limitation that can hold you back. If you're lacking clarity, you're not going to make progress. Um, the second limitation is limitation of discipline. And so discipline is the continued effort towards something. Um, you can have the clarity of what you want, but if you're not disciplined enough to stay committed and consistent, then it's not going to happen. So the clarity of discipline and the third is beliefs. And we can kind of open the discussion there. Beliefs is confidence. It's your Belief in what could happen. If you believe, you don't believe something is possible, then you're never going to try. So you have to first believe it's possible before the action takes place. And so that, that foundation, those first three limitations are very internal. It's the clarity, it's the discipline, it's the beliefs. Some of them are more external, but, but we can kind of start there. No, absolutely. You know, when, when you talk about those things, the, when you first said clarity, I thought to myself, okay, so. Looking from a school lens, right? Your traditional public school or your private, your vocational, people get what I'm saying. School in general, the educational system. Clarity. It is clear on the expectations and so forth. So when you're talking about divergent you or when you're inserting divergent thinking over the public education system, it's clear, but it's still closed. It's still tight. How do you develop that clarity for divergent thinking? I think of the clarity on the student level. So the student's clarity in their vision of the future, their ability to articulate where they want to go. What is it that they want to accomplish? If they don't have an aim, if they don't have a direction, then that's really difficult to make progress, right? So I think it all starts with inviting the students to be a part of their own educational experience. 
at Divergent U, the way we go about that is a lot of our curriculum is open-ended questions and the discussion happens in the classroom to help students clarify the things that they're aiming at. So we, we do exercises on setting values. We do exercises on taking a goal and let's say a three-year goal, reverse engineering that to what needs to happen in this year, taking that what needs to happen every quarter of the year, what needs to happen every month of the quarter, what needs to happen every week of the month, what needs to happen every day of the week. So you take a, a large goal and bring it down to the ground level is one of the exercises that we do to help students gain that clarity. Now, I think about one of the schools that I was the leader of, and we had this class called Personal Development. And the teacher worked on those types of items or issues with students. But now I'm so say I put my core subject teacher hat on that's tested, that has to have specific competencies that the students have to demonstrate. I Look, I love the idea, and I would like to think, <laughs> anyways, that 99% of the staff in a high school think that same way. Man, if we could just get kids engaged because they're thinking about things that are important to them and they're striving towards their goals. The idea of each student having a different goal and needing a different way to get there, where, as a leader, I guess is the right way to ask it, as a leader, how do I support teachers in moving over to that piece or how do I make it so that there's not that huge concern about competencies? Or how do you measure competencies? Are there competencies at Divergent U as people are moving through? So we don't have any standardized testing at Divergent U. The, the only metrics that we're tracking is one is a self-assessment that the students take where they are reflecting on their own levels of competence, clarity, and words that they choose for themselves. So they could say something like, I want to be more empathetic. I want to be more authentic. I want to be more joyful. And then they self-assess where they are on that on a scale of one to 10. And we check in on that test on a weekly basis with the students. And the other measurement that we have is personalized goal setting. So the students are setting their own individual goals and we're following up on those goals based on their own unique interests. That's the two methods that we're really tracking the student progress on. To answer your question about how to get that in the classroom, I guess, a little bit more. I don't know. I, I'm not as familiar with the traditional classroom setting. I'm a little bit more removed from it. The more students have autonomy over their projects, the more students have freedom to come up with their own ideas and execute those ideas. I think the more projects that are student-led, where they have to express an interest and then formulate a project around that interest, I think that allows the students to better explore their own creativity. So I think that would be the place to start. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you said that out loud because first of all, yes, I can't stand standardized testing, but I understand that things are there for a reason. I also think of Danny Bauer's work with leaders and he talk, he has like the principal success path and he has different tools, if you will, inside of that where principals whether they're getting enough exercise, whether they're getting enough sleep, whether they're doing things. And it's measured against their own goals. And I think to myself, if, man, if a school leader, if that's okay for a school leader, why would it not be okay for a high school student looking to find their way in life afterwards? I just don't know. But I, you know, I, I also think about, you, you said it perfect. We talk a lot about student voice, but the idea of selecting their own topics based on interest is so powerful. It, it reminds me of a story where if I just can digress for a few minutes, a teacher, we were doing a book study 
And a teacher decided to go with, you know, a form of genius hour. And every Friday, this teacher let the students work on a project that interested them. So the process was that they would have that class time to do that. The outcome was whatever the students wanted to put for a product, put forward for a product, as long as it attached back to the standards in some way. So they had to say what they were interested in, what they were going to do, what it was on, and the teacher would say, yay or nay, that attaches or not. At the end of this time period, the teacher came to me and had a cart full of different projects. I'm talking everything from game boards to some students wrote a pitch, wrote a paper to, you know, trifold boards, things like that. And the teacher looked at me, loved what had happened, loved the process, loved the thinking piece of it, but said, I never designed how to grade it. So the grades got caught up. You don't do that at Divergent U. You you work on the mindset of basically you're looking at the wild frontier and you need to do what you want to do. How does that work as far as discipline and the belief? Because people come out of high school often and they, they're not sure, they don't have that belief that they can do something because if they didn't go to college, sometimes there's a very real fear that, oh, I'm a failure. Or if they don't have a job right in high school, oh, I failed. How do you deal with that? So at the first trimester of Divergent U, it's three, three month segments. And the first is all about personal development. And so we're actually helping the students to have, to, to create habits. And that's where the discipline comes from is there's really four healthy habit pillars that we start with. And that is one is rest, which is not something that our culture is very celebratory of to a degree. It seems like it's, it's all productivity focused. And if you're not productive, then there's a lot of self criticism that comes from that and societal criticism that comes when you're not being productive, right? So we help our students develop rest habits. That's sleep patterns. They're, they track their sleep. So that's one area that they're developing habits around. One second is exercise. So physical activity, developing a habit around that. And so for, for three weeks each, for all four of these, the rest, the activity, nutrition, and then breath is the, the last one. So we, we do breath work is, is a short period of some of the things that we do. Some of it's more meditation based, uh, but it's just helping students tap into their, to their breath because breath determines so much of I'm not the expert, I would say, on breath work, but I think breath is such a bigger impact. And having done some personal breath work myself, I've, it's a very transformational and transcendent type of experience where you're like, how is that even possible just from breathing different? We don't get enough oxygen to the cells of our body sometimes because we breathe in a way that makes us more anxious. So the discipline actually starts at that level where we're going through the, the basic habits. And then that continues on where we're helping the students to stay accountable to their goals. When they're checking in week over week to say, this is what I want to do. Did I do it? And you're doing that for nine months. They're really starting to see what matters most to them. And that gets reinforced week over week as they continue through the program. That's absolutely fantastic. And it's such a granular level. And it's that whole buildup of small wins that once they start getting those, I mean, the belief comes. Yeah, and the beliefs is building on that, but it's also seeing the environment around them, which kind of takes us to the next limitation, if I can jump there, which is the culture. So limitation of culture, which I'll quickly close up beliefs and then we'll jump on the culture. Beliefs, they see a culture of people around them who are succeeding. And when you see that success and that progress happening, your belief of what's possible starts to expand. We can even look at the success of our past graduates and that, that 
opens the door of possibility for a lot of people, but it's different when you're reflecting on you, right? It's different than if it's, oh, well, somebody else did that, but I don't know if I can be. But when you're in an environment to go to the, the culture that is, is you're seeing others make advancements, you're seeing others get those small wins, you're seeing how that adds up over time, it inspires. And they start to believe in themselves because you see the progress they made. You can go back at the end of the first trimester and see this was your week, this was your goal in week one. This is now where you're at in week 13. Look at how much progress you made. That develops that confidence, reinforces their beliefs because they're actually making the progress. So number four, limitation is, is culture. And that's the environment around you. Do you have voices around you that are telling you, yes, you can or no, you can't? That goes to, I actually just did a workshop on this today with another group. That's within your family. That's within your friend group. That's within your network. That's within your school. That's within your job. Is what is the culture around you telling you? And how much of an impact that has on you? So somebody who is getting reinforced with yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And then when they fall down, you take the failure seriously too. You don't um, sugarcoat it. You, you want to make sure that it's that's a real thing. You can fail. So it's not just a positivity without cause, so to speak. There is that reinforcement of authority of you didn't get the goal done. So let's talk about why. But having a culture that is supportive versus a culture that is telling you no, it changes a lot for students, especially if they've never been in that kind of environment. That's fantastic. So you have culture and that's, I mean, I could go on forever about how we need to turn that culture in schools as to, yes, you can or no, you can't, or the students that have the ability or don't have the ability. I mean, there's tons of, I mean, Carol Dweck, everything. You can go forever on that stuff. What are some of the others? So the next, the next two limitations are limitation of location and limitation of roles. And so, again, this is a framework on what can stop you. So, so far, we've gone through clarity. If you don't have the clarity, you don't have the discipline, you don't have the beliefs, that can hold you back. If you do have the clarity, discipline, beliefs, you're still not unstoppable, right? You still have the culture around you could slow you down. Somebody's saying, no, you can't or no, you shouldn't. You might not act on that idea, even if you believe in it. Location can hold you back where you're at physically in the world. Location is actually one of the limitations that I don't believe is possible to overcome in some senses. If you get yourself in a position where, you know, worst case scenarios, if you're in a prison cell, let's say, you're trapped there. Like you are limited to location. You might not be able to do certain things because of that, obviously. So some of these limitations are impossible to overcome at, at a certain degree, but most of them, if not all the others, I would say are, it is possible to overcome that if you are limited by that. And then six is rules. So understanding the the rules within the government, understanding the rules within, if you're working a job, what are the rules within the company? So there is the, the limitation there, but also how do you use that to your advantage? And so one of the things we do at Divergent U is helping students build assets, utilizing the tax code in some sense to start an LLC. How do you start a, a, a business? And that can help you build wealth, build uh, assets over time. So understanding the rules helps you know how to play the game, basically, right? So that's the first six limitations. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, 
Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. Those are fantastic. And the first, you know, they're internal. And then the next three are external. So I, you know, and I think about the rules and I, you know, you always hear different things. You just bring up LLC makes me think about it, but you always hear the rules of the game. And some people who know how to play the rules benefit from them, while others who are ignorant of the rules suffer from them. They're on the other side. You know, there's a lot of talk about they learn to do school well because school becomes a system and they and they fit into it. And often we talk about teachers and you can tell the difference between teachers who have been in the professional world or the private world before school and the teachers that came right out of college always want to be a teacher, became a teacher, and they've been teaching their whole life. And oftentimes that comes down to the idea of they became, they liked teaching for whatever reason. I, I don't want to ever, you know, disparage anybody's why for they, why they got in. There's some pretty noble reasons, but there is some level of comfort. So they either saw a parent or a relative they admired flourish in the school environment and they did well in the school environment. And so they, they go into the school environment because there is that level of comfort. Then you have others that have left private industry and they come into the school environment and they're in a different world. And there's a different set of rules inside of a school as to how a school operates. Shouldn't be, but we're being honest with each other. So it's really interesting that, one, you have to learn how to, I don't want to say outplay yourself, best yourself, but you need to outplay yourself and best yourself if you're going to have control over yourself. And then you need to outplay, so to speak, or best your external environment with that second set. Yeah, absolutely. We categorize them in different cats. The the first category, I guess, the first three is the foundation, the clarity, discipline, beliefs. The second category is awareness. So that's more the awareness of your your external environment and on a, on a larger scale, right? That's the the overall arcing culture, the location that you're at, the rules of that environment. And then the next is the the strategy category. And this is where a lot of people point to when they feel limited. And so it's the limitation of connections. So this is knowing the right people, right? I'll go through all three and I'll break down each one. So limitation of connections, knowing the right people, limitation of money, a limitation of time. And so a lot of times when people aren't able to make progress, they'll point to one of these three things. They'll say, I don't know the right people. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. The phrase, you need money to make money, right? Or I don't have the time to dedicate towards this. The connections one is is interesting because now we live in a world where connections are are widely accessible through the internet. If you don't know the right people or, or someone could say it's all about who you know. And I think there's some truth to that. But the beauty in that is you get to decide who you know, because there's a much more accessible world of people to connect with online than there was 20 years ago. And so you can find those connections. One of the exercises we actually have our students do on LinkedIn is reach out to professionals or experts in an industry they're interested in and ask them for 15 minutes of their time 
to ask questions and to learn from them. And without fail, if they send more than 10 to 15 messages, they usually get at least one back who will give them the time to do that. A lot of people want to share their knowledge, especially coming from a student who's like, I'm trying to learn. How can I develop myself? Those doors are open. So if you're looking for the connections, that's one place to start. Limitation of money. There's abundance of, there's an abundance of money in the world. It's how do you get access to it? You can see it in, in everything. If you look around the room that you're in, wherever anybody's listening to this, everything that you see somebody created, there's a business model behind it to some degree. Money's everywhere. It's a matter of how do you get access to that? And that's where we help our students to create something of value. So that is a skill or a creation, a product or service that they can offer that provides value to the marketplace or to an individual. You can go the, the route of getting investments to build a company or to, to create something, but to overcome the limitation of money. So quick personal story on this. I started my first company, Hoop Brothers, 18 years old, $0 in the bank account, didn't have any investors. And Hoop Brothers is a basketball company. We film high school basketball players to produce videos for them to get scholarships for college. And when I started out, I was, I had a video camera, had editing software on my computer. That was the limit of what I had access to. And I started going out to my brother's tournaments and filming him. His teammates started paying me to do videos. They wanted their own videos. I partnered with a training facility that then sent videos. We then started working with local events and they sent a lot of players purchase videos from those events. And I was able to build Hoop Brothers from zero to six figure company within three years because it was reinvesting back in. So it doesn't necessarily take money to make money. Now I'm at a point where I've exited the company. It's running without me and it's a, it's an asset. And so you can build an asset over time that makes money without requiring time. And that's a longer conversation. We don't really, can't really get into all the details of that right now, but overcoming the limitation of money is possible. It, it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of understanding the market, understanding what skills or creations you have to offer that can be a benefit. But once you start to package that, so to speak, into a, a real offer, then you can build from there. Any thoughts on that before I jump to time? Yeah, I've got about 10,000 thoughts on that. <laughs> I'm thinking, hey, is there a spot for a principal that would be interested in taking your year course? <laughs> I, um, you know, those things that you're talking about are so important. And what I keep taking away, because I, you know, I'm trying to also hold on to that lens of school, because I, I want to try, I'm trying to change education to be as useful as possible for humans coming out of the educational system. 100%. And I think to myself, you know, with the connections piece, with money, with culture, I talk to people about these things. It always seems to be a mindset. And so I wonder how schools can get people to believe that this is possible. I just, with all these lists, and I know I'm jumping around between internal or the foundation ones, the awareness ones, and the strategy, but so much of this, when you talk about it, seems to be a mindset and maybe the key, like the service you provide where you teach about this stuff, just a little bit of know-how to do it. I think beyond the mindset. I can give a very, very tangible action step once we get to the end of the 12 that people can, can implement on an individual level and then even on an exercise that could work in the school environment. Oh, that would, I mean, that would be fantastic because I think 
you know, as I think about it, before you even get to the belief, there's got to be the know-how that you need to act on. And so, so often that's where the ball's dropped. I mean, you can tell somebody something and they, they dream about it for a little while, but what happens tomorrow morning when it's not so friendly, it's not so exciting, you need to act on it. So I'll, I'll stop blabbing and I'll let you finish with time. I have a whole bunch of, of thoughts about time and, you know, we, we make time for what's important and there's ways to schedule time and block time and all of that. But I'll let you finish up with that and then drop some tips off to the listeners. Sure. So time, you kind of just alluded to it, is is about priorities. If someone hasn't sat down and mapped out what their priorities are, I think that's a really good place to start. Just internally, what are my priorities? What is number one? What is number two? What is number three? Order that. Create an actual list of what's most important. And not everybody's done that. Not everybody's taken the time to actually sit down and create a list of their priorities. And then it's a matter of the... I'm working on a, a book, actually. I'm working on several books, but one of the books is a, it's called 10, 10 levels of time management. And it basically breaks down the hour is level one. So the hour is all about your focus. The day is, is number two. Then there's the week. Then there's the month. Then there's the quarter. Then there's the year and so on. Um, it actually goes up to a hundred years is the, the, the largest time frequency that we talk about. But often when people say they don't have enough time, they're thinking about time in a day to day or a week to week, or an hour to hour. And if you look at a three-month goal as a good starting point, or a quarterly goal, and you say, what can I get done in the next three months? And make that a transformational goal. Make that the thing that moves the needle in your life the most. Whether that's a, that could be a professional goal, that could be a personal goal. That might be, I had a, a student who was older, actually. She owned a property in um, somewhere, in, I want to say New Hampshire. But one of her goals was clean out her basement. It was like she had a basement that had all kinds of, like, that might be your goal, right? That might be something that you want to prioritize and put time for. It could be something as simple as that. But when you look at it over a three-month period, you can then pick the pockets for it in advance for when you can start to create the priority rather than looking at, well, today I don't have time. Yes, today you don't have time, but you haven't set up your time in a way that allows you to have time today. So again, there's a lot more we could talk about with time, but that's the overview, I would say. Can I just give a confession on time? Sure. sure. Quick confession with uh, Dr. Jones here. It's funny because, so when I wrote my book, when I wrote my first book, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to get it out there. It was a priority. And I set a goal of writing for a half an hour every day. I'd sit down and write. Now, I would give myself up to an hour, but I definitely had to do a half an hour. Over an hour, I couldn't because it would eat into other things. And that was on my calendar. That was on my to-do list. Every day, I would look to check that box wrote a book fairly quickly, and now I have a published book. I want to write a second book. I have a second book in me, and I have not put aside time, and I've been sitting on this idea for the better part of a year because I'll write to it when I get to it. I'll write it when I get to it. And every once in a while, I'll put an hour in, and then you know, then it takes me 20 minutes to get back into the flow state to be able to write the way I want to write. And it's gone nowhere. I mean, I've got part of a draft, but it's gone nowhere. So that's just so the listeners can understand. And and I can add that personal part about me to it. What you're saying is 100% on point as far as priorities for time. This one more piece on that, like that's the, the upfront is the setting the goal, right? And having the time for it. The second piece is when you get into executing on that and other things distract you. And so there's assertiveness training there to help people set boundaries and say no, because there's people in your life who might 
maybe they call you and that automatically pulls you in this direction. So how do you say no to that? How do you stay focused on what you're doing and not allow your energy, let's say, to get pulled in all these different directions? And that and that requires some assertiveness and authority and the ability to say no based on what your priorities are. So the last three limitations, this is the execution phase. And you actually kind of mentioned one earlier, which is the limitation of knowledge, not knowing how. The limitation of knowledge, limitation of talent, which are a little different. So knowledge is the know-how, talent is the ability. Let's take basketball, for example, as as an easy one. You can know how to shoot the proper shot, but the difference between knowing how and, and executing it in the game is a totally different thing. So knowledge, if you don't know how, it's going to limit you. Talent, if you don't have the talent, that can limit you. And then lastly is health. And so health is both the mental and physical health. If you're not healthy, it's difficult to make progress, right? So those three limitations really sum it up. And so if you look at the overarching concept, the idea is that if you have clarity, if you have beliefs, if you have discipline, you have the culture around you to support you, if the location is right, if the rules support what you're doing, you have the connections, you have the money, you have the time, you have the knowledge, you have the talent, and you're healthy, nothing can stop you at that point. And we all have a relationship with these limitations, let's say. You're never going to fully overcome any of them. You'll be limited by money to some degree. You'll be limited by time to some degree. You'll be limited by your knowledge to some degree, always. And so it's not about necessarily overcoming each of them entirely. It's about understanding where you're at with each. So the framework that we, the exercise that we do with this with students is we take these 12 limitations and ask them to identify which three are holding them back the most. And then to write out a single action step to help them overcome that limitation. I had another thought, but I'll let it come back to me. No, that's that's fine. I, that is... That's such a helpful strategy because it's that not getting overwhelmed by the larger picture. I mean, like you said, you know, all 12 affect us in some way, form or fashion, and we could improve in all 12, but that's not going to help us to try and tackle all 12 at once. So the idea of just selecting one or two, it's the same with school improvement. Like I'm talking about how I want to change education. I can't turn the whole oil tanker at once. I have to do it small step by small step. And in pieces that people will accept. I think about when we're talking about continuous improvement and how to improve instruction in the classrooms. I can't just jump in and do it wholesale. So we're doing learning walks, but we're starting learning walks small and we're pointing out small positive things. So that in turn changes the mindset or the overall culture to one of openness, one of let's try something different, one of risk, but it it can't happen overnight. People become overwhelmed and they freeze up where what you're talking about, that's directly contrary to what people need to do to actually move forward. The grounding of this is in the the awareness. So one of the things we'll do at the end of this workshop, because this is a one singular workshop that we do, and then we have a whole set of workshops that come after this to, to reinforce all of these concepts. But in that singular workshop, uh, one of the things that we will do at the end is ask students, if you overcame all of these limitations. Is there anything else that could stop you? Everybody sits there for a second and maybe there's a few things that come up that you can fit into one of these to a degree. Like I had a debate with one student about technology. One time they were like, you could be limited by technology. Sure, but if you have the money, you can get the technology. 
And so, or if you have the knowledge to develop the technology, you can develop the technology. So it, it, it fits in with some of these others. But the point is, if you look at these 12 limitations and you can say, okay, this is actually a real container of what's stopping me. And you have that awareness. Then the next question is, are any of these impossible to overcome? And you, is it impossible to overcome this limitation? Like I said, you could say location. Uh, you could say health, perhaps. But I would say even with health, in, from the way I try to look at it anyway, is if my mission is bigger than me, then even if I pass on, the mission continues. And so the success can happen. And even my health doesn't have to limit what I'm trying to do because it can live beyond me. So that, that's just one one tidbit. But that's the framework in its entirety, the 12 limitations. And what I would recommend for the listeners is go through those 12. I'll, I'll list them again a little more slowly if anybody wants to write them down that's listening. So you got clarity, number one, discipline, two, beliefs is three, culture, four, location, five, rules, six, connections, seven, money, eight, time, nine, knowledge, 10, talent, 11, and then health, 12. And you can do it with the three, identify the three that are holding you back the most. But if you want to go even deeper, you can journal on each of these. How is clarity stopping me? Where am I lacking clarity? Where is the culture around me? How is the culture around me supporting me? And is there other places I could be immersing myself to, to get more of a yes environment? So that, that's the exercise that I would recommend for, for everybody to see. Sam, you not only gave us a framework that we could sit and think about, and I'm so glad you listed them again. Thank you very much for doing that for the listener. But you also gave us an exercise to use them. And I think of how useful that would be just in personal, personally for people, but also to work with students, to help students with that. I can see any of these limitations being singular limitations that a teacher could address with a student in a classroom. And you don't have to worry about content. Like I mentioned competencies before. You don't have to mention that. You can, when they're working on something, say they're trying pre-calc and they're struggling with it. And you can talk about whether it's a knowledge piece or a talent piece, you know, what they're doing. You can work through them with that. And if you explicitly name those things, I think that's so much more helpful for students too, because then they'll start to internalize them. But you've, you look, this is a huge episode. You've said so much. <laughs> you gave a whole framework. What I'm going to do is, uh, you know, we'll kind of wrap it up here. I think with that strategy you gave and then relisting them, I think that's fantastic. And I think that's going to help a lot of teachers. So, and even people outside of education, anybody that listens to this. So I thank you for that. I can't wait to talk to you about the big picture in our next episode about the whole shebang, human development and how we develop better humans moving forward. But I, I can't thank you enough for being on. I encourage the listeners to obviously like, share, subscribe to this episode, and make sure you get it out to other people and comment on social media. And make sure you hit up Sam and I with your thoughts on this, how you're going to use it, and definitely look up Divergent You. They're out there on the web. We'll put it in the show notes so that you can check in on that. And any final last words for us, Sam, before we sign off? Yeah, this is actually a workshop that I do at schools for students. So if there's any schools that would be interested in having me come out to do a 12 limitations workshop, we've done it at the scale of theater. We've also done it at the scale of the classroom. So I've done this maybe a hundred times, um, which is why we've had so many. Originally, when I started, it was six limitations. This was an original concept. And as I'm on the whiteboard writing those six, the student's like, what about health? I'm like, 
Right. Health, seven limitations. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah. created with the students in some sense over the course of several years. And this kind of got buttoned up over, over that time. But if anybody's interested in having me come out to, to speak, I would love to, to share this directly with students. Um, and then you can reach me directly at, at samterrell at gmail.com is my email. And then Divergent Use website is just divergent-u.com as well. Perfect. And like the other ones, I'll definitely put all that stuff in the show notes. It's good that people hear it. And not only that, they have a place where they can click it right in the show notes when they're listening to it. So all those links will be in there. Can't thank you enough, Sam. I'm really enjoying our conversation. Like I said, I can't wait till the next episode where we dig into that a little more. So thank you, everybody. And um, make sure you go out there and keep making yourself better by checking out things like Divergent You and folks like Sam. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you have heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.